We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Bellato. Today, we're here to break down the All-22 Coaches film of the Giants' loss to the Dallas Cowboys. Now, we're going to do this a little bit differently tonight. As well, quite frankly, this is not really a game where you guys probably want to hear two hours straight of film breakdown. So we're going to do one show again this week, offense and defense, in this one podcast. And I'm going to change it a little bit. I'm going to ask Nick questions. We're going to go based off of that, expound on it, and kind of see if we can riff off of that and get into maybe hopefully some bigger topics. Because, you know, just going over the film of this game, in my opinion, and I'm sure in yours as well, the listeners, the award-winning listeners of our podcast, probably would agree. It's not something you want to hear, and it's probably not all that uh, impactful, I guess I would say, on anything. Any Giants analysis right now, like what they put on film against the Cowboys is hopefully nothing like what we're going to see next season, the season after, the season after that one. I mean, there's just no way we can hope to see that again. Is that right, Nick? So how are you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing pretty well, man. And yes, it's uh, it's gross. I'm trying to think of another NFL team that is as hapless and depressing to watch as the New York Giants, specifically on the offensive side of the football. And the only other team I can come up with is a team that the Giants defeated, and that's the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I think that <laughs> that's, that's not a bad, bad way to look at it. I mean, look. What they have out there right now, and sorry for some of you if you hear the sniffles, I have a bit of a cold, haven't not been feeling great at all. Thank God for Nike or uh, Dayquil. Um, though I am a little concerned because I take Dayquil and now I take Tylenol PM to help me sleep, and it's not a good combo. It seems like a lot of uh, what do they call it? And set what's that word? There's like some warning on the back of it. Set it set him. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this. It's so embarrassing, but there's a warning for don't take too much of this. And I feel like I'm reaching that limit fast. But listen, there were some things that I thought stood out to me on tape. So I'm going to start there, Nick. I'm going to ask you about the offensive line, because in my mind, from what I saw, they generated more push in the run game and kind of in some ways got it going a la what we saw at times in 2020. Obviously not the same, but down the stretch, we saw that. It was kind of overshadowed by a non-existent passing game, but it was there. So can you break down in your mind, Nick, what concepts you feel like the Giants found most success with, why they were able to run the ball against Dallas in this specific matchup, and then any maybe even any O-lineman who stood out from a run-blocking standpoint to you? From a run-blocking standpoint, I felt like Nate Solder and Matt Parrott both did well in terms of run blocking, as did Andrew Thomas, as always. Matt Skura's game wasn't as pathetic as it's been in the last couple of weeks, although pass protection is still an issue, and he's still probably the weakest lineman, arguable with Will Hernandez, who had a horrific game in terms of 
pass protection. Just I think there was like two or three times where he got clubbed to the ground by Demarcus Lawrence, and he also blew a bunch of pass protection on stunts with Matt Pair and with Nate Solder. He's just been a disaster, and it's horrific at this point. I thought Billy Price also had a good game, and in terms of the concepts, it's the same stuff. The Giants have been running a lot of inside zone, some duo, a little bit of power. They they incorporated a trap that I think picked up five yards. And it wasn't as many no gains here or one-yard gains or losses. They were able to generate some push up front at the point of attack. They were able to form their double teams well and then drive the Dallas Cowboys off the ball. And I felt like Barkley and Booker did a pretty good job being patient and discipline and finding the little crevices and holes that they can explode and run through. I mean, on the 28 yard run though, that wasn't the case. The one by Devonte Booker that set up the first field goal. That was basically a broken play. And Devonte Booker just bounced it outside and took advantage of the fact that Jerron curse and another Dallas defender got sucked too far inside. And then he used what speed he has to get outside. If he was a little bit faster, he probably would have scored a touchdown. And then on the fourth and one play to Devontae Booker, that was just an excellent block by Darius Slayton coming towards the line of scrimmage, not crack backing and, and taking a dumb penalty, but just taking on that, that I, I think it was a will linebacker and just executing his block while I believe it was Matt Skura pulled around and then kicked out Trevon Diggs. That was an excellently blocked up play by the New York Giants. And I feel like they had a couple of those. I feel like the tight ends did a solid job other than one play that really stood out where Kyle Rudolph got absolutely dominated at the point of attack. But it was good to see some push up front. I still don't think it's necessarily as good as you know, good football teams typically are in terms of dominating the point of attack. But Dallas wasn't allowing the Giants to run the football. They weren't giving them light boxes consistently. So it was nice the fact that they were able to get, you know, five yards here, four yards here, six yards here, and then, you know, break off the 28 and the 31 yarder. Yeah, without a doubt. I think it was more akin to what we saw last year at times which wasn't a dominant football team from a run standpoint by any means. This is not the 49ers churning out yards with their run game. This is not the Clint Kubiak Vikings by any means. But at the same time, they were able to generate actual offense from their run game, despite not having anything from their passing game. Obviously, as we see, we've talked about this before, Nick, there are limitations to having a run-based offense. There are limitations to having a team that can only run the football and can't pass the football. The Giants scored six points in this game. They couldn't win with a rushing attack that racked up 140. Last year, a lot of people gave credit to them for their rushing attack against the Seahawks. But that was, as we've learned this year, an outlier game. The Giants have had about three of those. Seahawks, Raiders, Eagles. All three of those games required the Giants to dominate the turnover battle. Dominating the turnover battle is mostly luck-based as we've seen throughout time. I mean, there's a lot of good stats that back that up. So you shouldn't be going for outliers, but I am excited at least that some part of their offense was functional in this game. There are specific players I want to talk more about that I have here. Some I may have jumped the gun by asking you to go over players, but I did want to talk about something you mentioned, and that was that run that Devontae Booker kind of bounced outside and did on his own. I thought that was really good processing by Booker. You touched on that as well. You agreed. My question to you is this. If that's Barkley in that spot, does he make that same cut? I believe he does because that play, the Giants aligned in 12 personnel and then they motioned Sterling Shepard off the ass of the double Y set where Evan Ingram was. It's something the Giants do a lot. They did it on the opening play with Colin Johnson. So you have an unbalanced set with just Will Hernandez and Nate Solder to the boundary side of the field. Mike Glennon opens up to the field side and that's Devontae Booker's original spot. I mean, yes, the Cowboys account for all of those extra gaps, but you have more bodies over there, more manpower. But the fact that the the one technique, I don't know, I think it might have been Bohannon, slants inside to the strong side. That allows Billy Price to kind of get to his outside shoulder and just pin him to the strong side, which leaves Will Hernandez and Nate Solder to form a double team on Demarcus Lawrence. And Booker sees this go down real well. He sees Jerron Curse drop down from his safety spot to kind of play the alley and alley opens up in that a gap with that one technique slanting and that's what the cowboys want they want there to be a defender there to execute that but what the cowboys failed to do was contain and i believe i don't know who it was but number 42 for the dallas cowboys loses contain he goes to that a gap Devontae booker kind of sets it up with a nice stutter step and runs right off the double team and outruns both of those guys and you have kenny galladay outside just taking care of anthony brown it's a really really nice run by Devontae booker and i felt like the new york giants did a good job taking advantage of what dallas was trying to do defensively dallas was trying to account for those extra gaps over 
on the other side of the football field there towards the massive strength that the New York Giants had. They didn't contain the weak side. And then that number 42 just loses containment. It's a terrible assignment on that player's part. And good on Devontae Booker to kind of see it all go down. In terms of Saquon Barkley, I think Saquon Barkley reads that up too. I, I, I do. I mean, Saquon Barkley tends to bounce runs like that outside. And I hope that he would see Curse dropping down and he would read that one technique slanting inside as well as Demarcus Lawrence slanting inside, knowing that there's going to be plenty of space to the boundary to run. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Barkley does see that. I think Barkley maybe does even more with it because he does have that capability. And that's why Barkley's the starter and Booker's the backup. But there has been some talk, Nick, about maybe it should be the opposite. I see a lot of momentum building, at least from people on Giants Twitter. Using some of the stats, I mean, there was someone who tweeted me today that showed basically behind the same run blocking, Booker's been a lot more impactful as just a pure runner. Um, obviously there are different, they're completely different skill sets in my mind as a runner. Like they don't look anything alike at all. When I watch them on film Booker and Barkley, they're not nearly like they're just total opposites as far as playing the position of running back. Obviously at the same time, Booker doesn't have four, four speed, right? Though I have, I will be honest and you know, it sucks to say, but Barkley doesn't look like right now he has four, four speed to be honest, the burst, the explosion. It's not where it's not anywhere near where it was in 2018 right now. But do you give any credence to that? Do you think that Booker should be getting more snaps at all? I think Booker's snap share right now is pretty solid. I like the fact that they're designing plays to get him touches. I mean, that's a fourth and one, uh, basically, you know, jet motion with Sterling Shepard to kind of move the linebackers, pitch outside to Devontae Booker. They trusted Booker in that spot and not Saquon Barkley to run this play. And you know what? I think Booker may have done a, I think Barkley sees this as well, but Booker kind of shows patience on that run. If you watch, they pull the play side guards, so kind of like a G lead to kick out Trevon Diggs with uh, Darius Slayton, like I said before, kind of coming down and taking care of, uh, I think it's a nickelback actually, not the wheel linebacker, but Booker has to wait for those blocks to kind of materialize before putting that outside foot in the ground and exploding up right past Leighton Vander Esch to pick up 31 yards. I think Saquon Barkley sees that, but I think Booker is just better at, at realizing these holes and reading his blocks and kind of being very decisive with his running path, whereas Barkley isn't as consistent with it. So I'm perfectly fine with Devontae Booker earning, you know, 10 snaps or 10, 10 touches, I should say, 10 touches, 10 to 12 touches every game. I don't know what else... Uh, people want, do they want him to be a, a, a straight up 50, 50 split? I, I'm not quite there. I still think the home run capability for an offense that literally hits no home runs at all. Uh, you need to have that home run hitter in there. And I know it hasn't hit yet, but all it takes is I like, I think if Saquon Barkley reads that block up and he's in on this play, this could be a touchdown here. And uh, Booker just doesn't have those athletic traits that Barkley does. So I, I'm fine with what's going on right now in terms of the split, give Booker his touches, but still Saquon Barkley is still the main guy. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I guess what it comes down to is the home run ability. But I think some people are more looking at it long term, maybe like, you know, this is one reason why we can trade Saquon Barkley because we have Booker. Booker can play a bigger role and then you can maybe add like a Ramondre Stevenson type in the draft. That would be my guess here as to what people are thinking here. But I don't yeah, that's know. That's a totally different conversation. Right. And I would agree with that, too. I mean, honestly, I like I love Saquon Barkley as a person, as a face of the franchise and everything that he can represent, but he hasn't represented it. And if a team and a general manager, because like we said weeks ago, all it takes is one, is willing to give up pretty big capital part ways with them because we can't give a running back a contract and build forward like that. I I'm all for getting rid of Saquon Barkley, but when he's here, I think he should be getting more touches than Devontae Booker. Yeah, you know that that's exactly how I feel about this one. I think it's probably the correct take here. Let me talk to you a little bit more, Nick, about the offensive line. Let's get a little bit more into that. I thought Andrew Thomas had arguably his best game of the season for him, and it's nothing really new. He's been incredibly consistent this year, night and day from the player we saw in the first half of his rookie season. I, one, I would ask you, do you agree with that statement about this specific game and this matchup against the top Cowboys team? Two, can you dive a little bit more into what you were impressed by when it comes to Thomas? Maybe some examples from the run and pass game for those following along with game pass. And then three, after all that, I wanted to get your take on what you think his ceiling can be among left tackles right now in the NFL. I think his ceiling, I'll start with that last part of that question. I think his ceiling is he could be a, a top five tackle in the league. I think that's well within the range of outcomes. I don't know if it's the probable range right or the probable outcome as of right now but we've seen massive development from year one to year two so hopefully and i know as we always say that it's not linear in terms of his development 
But if he continues to ascend, then he can go from being whatever he is now, say a top 20 tackle or whatever it is. I don't, you know, I don't watch all the tackles in the National Football League. He can keep building and become like a top five type of tackle because he has all the athletic traits you're looking for, right? He has the size, he has the length, and now he's developed his game to be technically sound. He's not oversetting right? He is initiating contact and he's using his grip strength to bring defenders in. He's not getting beat all that often up the edge. I think he has a, you know, a few times here and there this season, but he's not getting beat around the edge and he's just much more confident with his sets. He varies his sets. It's not the same thing. Like with Matt Parrott, you kind of see the same set every time he goes to engage uh, defenders in the same manner, basically every time. And I feel like as the game wears on, the defender ends up kind of realizing what Matt Parrott is going to do. He's going to set, he's going to try to you know, establish contact with that outside arm. And then usually if you time it up, well, you can hit that outside arm downward and you're going to have a free access right around the outside with Andrew Thomas. He varies it up so much. And you saw it in this game as well. He's handling all of these different edge rushers that the Dallas Cowboys have. I'm very impressed with what Andrew Thomas does. Not to mention in the run game, he's absolutely just a, a hoss, bro. He's strong at the point of attack. He can drive defenders off the line of scrimmage if he has to he's good in terms of deuce blocks he's good when he has to climb to the second level so i like everything i've seen from andrew thomas and i don't know i mean i'm gonna have to think back to all the other games this was one of his best games yes but i'm not like sure if this was definitely his best game because he's had so many good games yeah he's had a lot of good games just feel like given the matchup and given specifically for me at least what i saw him do in the run game in this game i thought it was his best game as far as the ceiling goes for thomas I think it's higher than it's ever been. I really do agree with you. He could be a top five left tackle. Now, I don't watch all the offensive tackles play. That's obvious. But what I do try to do, and I know you do the same, Nick, is follow along with real offensive line gurus, people who are paid to do this every day, to watch offensive line film every day. That's literally their job. Brandon Thorne is employed to do that. There are multiple others that are employed to do that. Some who played the position as well, which helps too. And... Also, I don't feel like going over the PFF grades to kind of get a scope of what Thomas is or what he can be because I've had my issues with PFF grades, especially as of late. I, I, I'm losing a lot of faith in PFF in general. I think they have some big issues with, <laughs> with their grading, with their process, with their system. Uh, you know, I always said take it with a grain of salt. For me, it's turning into more like def like you know, a grain, <laughs> less, whatever is less than a grain of, <laughs> of salt would be. Uh, a half a grain of salt. But, you know, as far as Thomas goes and what his ceiling is, I can just go by what I see on film and what I think makes a great offensive tackle. Like, is he Trent Williams or will he ever be Trent Williams? No, of course not. He's not the athlete that Trent Williams is. And that may limits him from being that next level. But he's so technically sound right now. And like you said, he's such a strong hoss in the run game, especially on those down blocks, that like he can be a lighter version of like, like look at some of the best tackles. They're not all Trent Williams types like Joe Thomas, the best tackle we've had in the last 30, 20, 20, 30 years in the NFL was not an all world athlete. He was just so technically sound. And so I think with Thomas, I always felt like the ceiling was not of the worst Beckton's when he was in that class uh, because of the athleticism. But Ultimately, ceiling isn't just measured by your athleticism at the offensive tackle position. Honestly, it can also be measured by what you do on a down-to-down -down basis, your consistency, like you've talked about. And he's been really consistent now for a really long period of time. And it's really exciting to see because regardless of what happens this offseason with the rest of the roster, having a left tackle in place puts them in a much better position than they were going into this season. I know there was speculation, including by us, that they had a left tackle in place. I mean, both of us said he was the best prospect on their roster, but prospect and realization are two different things, Nick. And I think he finally, and I know he had a pretty solid uh, second half last year, but it wasn't at this level. And this has been a longer period of time and even more consistent level of play. So it's really good to see. And I'm glad you're on the same page there. In terms of Andrew Thomas, man, if anybody wants to watch and like follow the film, you can just watch play in and play out. You can see how his feet and his hands basically move in unison with one another. That did not happen last year, man. His feet were just erratic with where they were going to move. He would lunge way too often and punch way too often with his upper body and not bring his lower body with him. And these things kind of seem simple, but how are you supposed to block somebody who is more athletic than you, who is also incredibly strong with momentum moving forward while you move backward if you are not coordinated with your movements? Andrew Thomas has rectified that. And that's something that we should all be very excited about. 
Yeah, it really is. And thank God, because we needed something good to come from this season. Worst comes to worst, this is still going to be here. And this is still going to come out of this 2021 season, the emergence of Andrew Thomas. All right, I want to talk about another thing from my vantage point on the offensive side of the ball. A few more things before we get to the defense. And that would be, I thought it was, and you mentioned it earlier, but again, Nick, I thought it was a pretty solid game from Billy Price. Uh, I'm starting to wonder, is there any value to bringing him back? He's still young. He still has a draft pedigree. Those two things are not the be-all, end-all, but they're worth something to me, especially when he starts to put together decent games like this one. Uh, and this isn't his only one recently. So I defer to you here, Nick, but is there any excitement around Price? Did you think he is starting to show signs that maybe we can bring him back as either a starter because we both don't believe Nick Gates is going to be ready just based on that injury or even just as a depth piece because this team line needs starters and depth. I think as a depth piece, I would definitely be all for it, but I would like to upgrade over Billy Price. But I do believe this probably was his best game, and last week was probably his best game up to that point. So you like, you know, finishing at the end of the year. He's he's putting a couple good games together, some good tape out there. He's not getting beat as consistently. There are times where Will Hernandez gets beat on a stunt, and I always wonder if Hernandez thinks Price is supposed to be on his side. It seems like it's slide protection towards, say, the left. But Will Hernandez, the way he shades the blocker, it, it, it's in a manner that Will Hernandez is under the assumption that Billy Price is going to be there to take the inside shoulder of said blocker. And it happened on one of these plays. It might have actually been the interception by Mike Glennon, but I, I don't want to be quoted on that, so I'm going to probably pull it up here as I extemporize and talk. But you can see Will Hernandez kind of peek on the left side like he's going to have somebody there yeah it is that so nate solder they're going up against a three technique nate solder kind of punches down and then the pass rusher goes inside will hernandez engages the outside shoulder and it looks like he's just not will hernandez isn't moving his feet to the to the outside until he realizes he's beat and then billy price is slides to the left on that play to to help no one because the Cowboys kind of had a rusher there look like he could come and it was just another manipulation of this protection package but that could be a miscommunication between Price and Will Hernandez and Will Hernandez has been so damn bad that it, you know I tend to lean towards it might just be his fault and just good scheming by the defense on this type of play but if those are issues with Billy Price on film just because I've seen it happen so many times that's not necessarily a good thing but in terms of the things that I can discern which is his ability at the point of attack the move he's getting in the run game I do feel like this was his best game which is a positive but even with all of that said I don't know if I want him to be the starter next year that's fair I think you bring up some good points I don't want to get overly zealous it just feels like a spot where you know we're hoping for the best here. We're praying for the best here. And, you know, we need anything we can get from this offensive line, whether that be Billy Price or whoever. Um, you know, they're not in a position where they're going to be able to add millions of different uh, offensive line starters in one offseason, right? Or let's say even just like three to five millions is a stupid word to use there. But at this point, I'm looking for anything I can get. I'm looking for any kind of consistency. Obviously, there isn't much there, but. You know, just when I see games like this where he flashes a little bit, I get a little bit excited, Nick, because I'm hoping for the best there. Let me ask you something about something else you mentioned, though, before we move on past. Well, there's actually a couple more things in the line, but I want to ask you about Will Hernandez, because obviously he struggled mightily in this game. And that seems to be consistent with his entire 2021 season. I mean, struggling mightily is what Will Hernandez has been. A case can be made. By some, I don't know if I'd make this case, but a case can be made by some that he's been equally as bad as the whole left guard, you know, the Skira, Brettis, whatever's been there. And even as Solder, I mean, like games like this are just a tro He was the worst offensive lineman on the field in this game. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let me ask you this. He's still young and he still has a draft pedigree similar to Billy Price. Is there any, you know, where are you at with Will Hernandez? Is he someone you want to bring back? I'm kind of done with Will Hernandez, to be honest. Like I always say, man, the Giants, they don't have any depth along the offensive line. They don't have a lot going on. So at the right price, I would entertain bringing someone like that back. But you cannot rely on Will Hernandez to be a starter next season. I would rather rely on Billy Price at this point to be a starter than Will Hernandez because this is every game at this point. This guy is losing in pass protection. This guy is blowing an assignment in the run game. Everything's blocked up well, and it looks like the Giants could spring you know, a good 10-yard run, but Will Hernandez gets beat. He just and I've used this word since 2019, lethargic, but it's even more than that, dude. It's technical at this point. It's just getting beat with strength. Things you wouldn't imagine with Will Hernandez, dude. There were like two or three clips in this game with Demarcus Lawrence, who just clubbed him down to the ground. He just got caught lunging right off the snap. And Demarcus Lawrence anticipated what he was going to do and put him down. It was reminiscent of Shane Lemieux last year. Remember how hard we were on Shane Lemieux. That happened several times in this game to Will Hernandez. It might've been one time in the run game as well. So I'm not going to entertain him being a starter. If they want to bring him back on something cheap, then I'm I, I'm all for it. I, I will listen to to all of those types of things because the Giants aren't really in a position where they they can turn up turn up turn past cheap contracts for young players. But I can imagine somebody else is going to look at Will Hernandez and be like, you know, we had a high draft rate on him. We'll fix him, and they'll offer him something more than what the Giants should offer him. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's going to be the case too. There will be a team that will offer more. And I also think he might want a change of scenery and a different blocking scheme and different players around him. It's not like they've given him some kind of unbelievable situation at center and at tackle to play with his entire career. Maybe he wants to slide in somewhere where he's got a proven vet on the interior at center. And, you know, if he goes back to left or guard or stays at right at the tackle position, that could be something he's interested in as well, because he, you know, offensive linemen look better when they have good linemen around them too. I'm with you. I think it's just, I think I'm just done. I'm just done with Hernandez. Like if they brought back Hernandez at price at a really cheap deal around the league men, I wouldn't hate it. Like there's just not many other options. And at least then you have a little bit of like, I'll take the continuity and the, some, and somebody who know who's played on this team over like a crappy vet, like, you know, like, Oh, Joe Looney, the giant signed Joe Looney. This is going to be great. No, that was never going to be great. And the kid from the Texans, so I don't even remember his name because it was so pointless. Exactly. That was never going to be great either. Like, there's not many other better options. It's so hard to find linemen. So I don't know, man. Like, while we both kind of are turning the page on Hernandez and neither of us are enthused by the idea of bringing back Price, I don't know. I just don't know what else is there on the offensive line. So it's going to be an interesting offseason as they try to sift through this offensive line and figuring out start. I think honestly, this line could take years to rebuild. And I think they might be better off having a multi-year approach saying, you know what? We can't fix this all in one offseason. Let's just see if we can get a little bit better. Um, yeah, I, th- I I think the next general manager, though, is going to make a point to actually fix the offensive line. And he's going to use one of those top 15 picks, whatever it ends up being. Hopefully it'll be top 10 
on an offensive lineman. But I mean, so much has to play out until then. It's just a hunch, I would imagine, because if you look at this roster, you see a lot of, you know, good pieces to build upon on this roster. And then you look at one unit in particular, and it's the offensive line. And you say, wow, there's like nothing there other than Andrew Thomas. And that is arguably the most important position other than quarterback. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, yeah, and we'll have to see what happens with those two draft picks, if they even have those picks. Yeah. And you want to know what's even more frustrating, too? On that first drive, the the interception by Mike Glenn and the one where Will Hernandez got beat to the inside. Maybe he expected Billy Price to be there. Maybe he didn't. They could have possibly hit big on that play because they, they ran a play action. Well, that wasn't even play action, a shotgun, but Devontae Booker goes through uh, the mesh point, kind of. And you have Sterling Shepard in motion, kind of, go into a bunch and he runs this nice little choice route where he goes vertical and he beats Anthony Brown deep against the middle of the field, closed safety who did not have the angle here. And that's where Glennon was going with the football. This could have been a big play because Sterling Shepard did an excellent job beating Anthony Brown at the break point, essentially. And you could see he has like two or three yards of separation. Once Glennon gets hit and Glennon gets hit and the ball gets popped in the air. Could you imagine just the game could have been different? The opinion of Glennon could have been there. A lot of things could have been different if that ball was delivered accurately, which is a big if, but that would have happened if Will Hernandez could actually block up a protection well. The team of ifs, the New York Giants, at least on the offensive side of the ball, it's been their MO for quite some time now, but I do agree with you that was a really particularly bad play by Hernandez, not his only one that he put on film. But on the flip side, or I won't know if it's the flip side, but another thing to talk about would be Matt Parrott time. He finally got some snaps. I mean, Jesus Christ, in a lost season like this, only Joe, leave it to Joe Judge to not give this guy snaps until this point of the season. But finally got some snaps. We finally, I mean, at this point, like, I don't give a crap what they think about competing in, in practice, blah, blah, blah. This is not about that anymore, okay? These wins are not very important. What's important is the future of this franchise. That's the bottom line for a lot of us, people like me, a lot of people who view this on a long-term basis. At 4-10, and your season is over. There is no playoffs. They're not mathematically eliminated, but they're not making it at 7-10. and So it's time to start seeing this guy. Like, I'm all in. I'm putting Matt Parrott in. He got half the snaps of Soldier this game. Give him every snap. There's literally nothing to gain at this point in my mind by having Solder. I know you said Solder was okay in the run game. He's been a little bit better for a while now in the run game, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They need to figure out where they're at at the offensive tackle position heading into the 2022 seasons. They have right now they have one locked in tackle. You need three in the NFL. You need a good swing tackle and you need a good starter. And so I have to figure out where Pear is. Can he even be a swing? Can he be a starter? I won't know unless he's playing Nick. And so I'll start by that little rant on why he should be playing. And then I'll ask you, what did you see? Give me the good, give me the bad. And are you on page with me? You want to see them just turn it over to Pear? I would like to see more Matt Pear, but I'm not as enthusiastic about him being a long-term starter here. Can he be the long-term swing tackle? Possibly, but it still seems like he has the same issues that we were talking about when he was back at UConn. Yes, he's a great athlete. Yes, he's very long, but he doesn't have that mean temperament, man. And right. we talked about his, I think the the words we use with lack of violence in his hands and lack of pop. And you could see it, man. When he initiates contact, he basically just touches. He just basically touches. And like I said, that his set, his pass set and his initiation of contact is so predictable. He just reaches out with his outside arm and he touches. And sometimes he doesn't even bring his feet with him. He lunges a little bit too much. And I just feel like he's very susceptible to being beat out to the outside on that outside shoulder that he leans and touches. Like I said, all it takes is a little bit of a little bit of a swat, double swat, whatever, double swipe if you want. And then a rip move outside and he's being, we've seen that happen to him plenty of times. Now I don't see the upside in playing Nate Solder, who's horrendous as a pass blocker. I think Nate Solder might be a little bit of a better run blocker than Matt Parrott, but I think Matt Parrott actually played pretty well as a run blocker in this game. And he showed, I would say he showed up as a, as a pass blocker as well, but he just wasn't exploited. Like all it takes is one of those plays where he is exploited. And then we're like, Oh, he's terrible. That didn't happen in this game, but I do believe he's still exploitable with the tape that he's putting out there. Yeah. And he's been exploited more times than not almost every time, but this one he's been exploited as a pass protector. And I get that. I don't think necessarily that he's going to be anything but a bust and a bad draft pick. If I'm going to be completely honest, like, I feel like we might've seen it by now already, but that's not guaranteed, right? Like, 
It's a, there's yeah. a chance that he's just a late bloomer. There's a chance that he's somebody who needs an excessive amount of snaps to get better. There's a chance that he's someone who just simply can get better by growing into his body or, you know, there's very various different ways that he can improve, but we're not going to know unless he plays. And so at this point, I'm just like, you know, if all factors considered in a four and 10 season, I'd rather see him play. I agree with you. I'm not too enthusiastic about his long-term future here. I think it's just another, um, I don't want to say bad eval. I think when you're taking a tackle at 97 overall or whatever it was 99 overall, he's going to miss most of the time. I talked a lot about this last off season. We talked a lot about this last off season, Nick. That's an outlier pick. If you're counting on the tackle at 99 to start like the Giants certainly did for this season, you're counting on an outlier because tackles taken outside the top 75 are mostly failures. A massive percentage of them are failures, especially in year two. They're not going to be ready. He didn't have any reps really in year one. How's he going to be ready? He wasn't ready, clearly. Like, he's not good. But I do worry about some of the things you mentioned, Nick. There's no mean streak. And there's still some of the same problems. The mean streak, I don't know if it'll ever be there. They've talked or, you know, we heard Rob Sale talk about it. That's something the coaches are seeing. That's a big reason he hasn't gotten playing time. How does that change? I don't know, man. Does that, does that change? Do you, have you seen that change in a player over your time following football? Somebody just automatically become mean? Not necessarily. That's a temperament thing. And that's usually ingrained in your own characteristics and, and your personality. And it just doesn't seem like Pear necessarily has that in his play. I would say the glass half full approach to evaluating Matt Pear right now would be that we understood it would take a bit of time to, to see him be actualized, right? Because he was coming from UConn, a small school. You can even, if you want to make the excuse, and it is a viable excuse that he had COVID in his first year and that definitely slowed his development down. So maybe in year three, he'll kind of figure it all out. I'm not optimistic with that. It's an approach that some fans can think of. Because I remember going into this season, what did we say? Oh man, he packed on, what was it like? 10 pounds or something like that. And he looked a lot bulkier and a lot bigger. Well, the athletic ability isn't necessarily the issue here. And he's not showing that dominating presence that you would expect to see from somebody who added weight in the off season. So I, I just, uh, I'm in the same boat as you. Unfortunately, I'm not optimistic, but I will take anything we can get. And hopefully if he could just be a competent swing tackle behind whoever the giants bring in to play on the right side, I'll be happy with that. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think we'll know that unless he plays. So I really do hope he gets a lot more snaps down the stretch. I think all Giants fans probably hope that right now. So we'll see what happens there. All right, let's talk a little bit about the quarterbacks, and then I'm done on offense. But I'll turn it over to you to see if there's anything that we missed that's important. Jake Fromm. We got the Jake Fromm drive. It was a two-minute drive. He made the throw to Galladay, which I thought was, if we're going to be completely honest and evaluating it from an unbiased standpoint, not a good throw. I mean, that ball has to be outside shoulder. They teach you in the NFL, if you're a quarterback who can't throw that ball outside the ashes on the outside shoulder, you're not going to be a quarterback who lasts long. I remember seeing Kyle Loletta in this first preseason throw like four deep balls inside shoulder like that. Two were picked, I believe. One was almost picked. I was like, all right, well, we're probably not going to hit on this late round Kyle Loletta stuff, even though there was talk. I think it was from Ernie Accorsi or someone was like, this is the steal of the draft. But um, as far as Fromm goes, that don't think that was a great throw. I think it was a great adjustment by Kenny Galladay. Just another example of what Galladay can do. Hasn't been tested a lot. Hasn't been given many opportunities this season, in my opinion, at least. Has been open a lot more than people realize on the tape in breaking routes, too. But balls haven't always been there. The ball was there that time, but not really there. It was on his inside shoulder. He had to adjust, and he made a great catch. Other than that, though, the out pass, yeah, it didn't have a lot of zip on the third and long, but it got there in the right spot, and it was a nice anticipatory throw. Bogged down in the red zone, but overall looked like he had better command of the huddle in some ways. Looked like he did. He was comfortable in a two-minute drill despite just getting here. But I, I liked a lot of what I saw from Fromm, to be honest, as far as just like who would I rather see, Fromm or Glennon. I'm probably going Fromm the rest of the year for a lot of the same reasons I said about with Pert. Um, But how about you? What did you see on that drive from Fromm? Maybe if you want to break down the drive and just kind of where you're at with the Fromm versus Glennon. I felt like the Giants did a good job simplifying everything for Jake Fromm early on in that drive, right? Like they started with a, a bunch of simple concepts, just get the football out of Fromm's hand, allow him to read one defender and then have him dump the football off. That's what happened on the first, first and 10. It started with, uh, it was a fourth quarter, 341 left. And they just basically run, you know, a reduced bunch and they run a spacing con spacing concept. And they have Sterling Shepard just kind of sit in between a, a zone. You're reading the, 
Number 27, you're reading Jerron Curse. If Jerron Curse goes outside, you're going to throw it to Sterling Shepard. If he stays on Sterling Shepard, you're probably going to throw it outside to Darius Slayton. But honestly, I wouldn't have wanted to do that because Jake Fromm does not have a strong arm and Trevon Diggs was on Darius Slayton. But you could also look at the backside and you had Sterling or Shaquan Barkley in the flat. So I felt like there were a lot of simple concepts early on, just you no know, quick stick, uh, spacing concepts high low on that second play as well the 14 yard pass to Darius Slayton that was on a second and two I felt like that was an excellent just read by Jake Fromm but it's also an easy read because you have curse bail to a deep half the Cowboys aligned and cover one initially bail to deep half and you have Trevon Diggs kind of come down and eliminate Saquon Barkley in the flat which he's high load at this point because you have Darius Slayton on the seven round so you know you're gonna have one of those guys open if curse bailed he bailed and it was read well by Jake Fromm and I think that's what Jake Fromm is going to offer he's going to offer the mental aspect of the game the processing aspect and he can see pre to post snap okay this happened that means on this side of the field I'm going to have this look whatever that defender does I'm going to do the opposite and that's how you kind of burn defenses and he did that all throughout this drive but man my another big takeaway and I didn't really need this game to to come away with this is he just doesn't have a strong arm, bro. Like this could be a bad game against the Eagles. It really could be because he does not have the velocity to whip the ball through wins or even really throw impressive passes 20 yards down the field. I mean, we saw it with the Kenny Galladay. That was bad ball placement. Like you said, I really like the anticipatory throw the 10 yard game on the third and 10 before I thought like that was a, a gutsy throw, but you can still see the ball's not on a line, dude. It kind of like lost in there. And that was his big knock coming out of Georgia. That was a reason why he was a fifth round pick. He doesn't have the NFL caliber arm. He's basically like a younger Colt McCoy, like we've called him before on this podcast. But with all that said, I was still impressed with this drive because I didn't feel like the Cowboys were just backing off. And you could see that on the fourth and five, they sent a cover zero blitz and there was an unblocked defender who absolutely annihilated from. You could see the Dallas Cowboys were pinning their ears back to come after Jake Fromm and get some easy stats here. So I, I got to definitely give him credit. I want him to start. I just, you know, have the, you know, in the back of my mind, this, this could be bad. <laughs> yeah, I get it. It could be bad. I I'm with you on from, I don't know that I even really see a long-term backup. Like if you ask me, this kind of arm talent is not something I'd invest in even as QB two, uh, you know, where I'm at with the QB situation. If they're going to stick with Jones this off season, I want them to sign Minshew or Mariota or trade for some talent or do something to upgrade quarterback two. And it's not just quarterback two. Let's be quite honest with this. That could be quarterback one whether that be in the 2022 season due to Daniel Jones taking some time to come back from this neck injury or re-aggravation in the neck injury or any other countless injury that's plagued him in each of his first three seasons. And going back even further, four seasons because he was injured at Duke as well. I believe either in his senior or in his second to last or last season at Duke. I believe it was his last. I believe it's four straight years of injuries. He has the injury-prone tag. He has also played poor at times, really, for the most part of his career. So if we're going to be just, I mean, I know people hate to hear it, but I know there's circumstances as to, and again, I know there's circumstances of why he struggled at times, but they need to upgrade quarterback this offseason, in my mind. Fromm is not it, but at the same time, prove me wrong, right? Like, that's how I see it. Like, yeah. Let me see. I know I don't buy into his arm talent, but maybe he's just such a good decision maker and he throws with such good anticipation and he sees the field so well. Like these are obviously stretches. I don't necessarily think this will be the case, but maybe all of those things happen and there could be QB a case to be made that he can be a QB2 next year because I know no matter what happens the rest of the year, I do not want Glennon as the QB2. That's the one thing we know. There are some things we know. We don't want Solder at tackle, swing or starter, doesn't matter. We don't want him. And we don't want from, I'm sorry, Glennon as the QB too. So at least let's try out things that we don't know. And you never know where it can go because it's possible. He can make us feel a little bit better about the, about the quarterback situation on this roster. Absolutely. And that's for Glennon. I couldn't agree more. And I say that, and I know no one wants to hear this. He actually had a couple pretty good throws in this game as well. It's just not a lot of people remember him. There's the third and eight in the fourth quarter, it was a back shoulder comeback to Kenny Galladay from the far hash. That was a nice strong throw that he ripped in there. The third nine in the third quarter was a good throw to Evan Ingram, kind of in tight coverage over the middle of the field that ended up going for 15 yards. So you see plays like that, and then you see plays like the one I'm about to talk about, which was the first play in the fourth quarter, a play action pass where he just did not account for the second deep offender, and he threw an interception to Malik Hooker. And it's because pre-snap, you look, the box is loaded. There's one safety deep. It looks like a middle of the field closed look at the snap. It goes into the play action. And then you have one of the box defenders is over Kyle Rudolph drop to a deep half along with 
the other defender who drops to a defab. So now you have two guys deep. And I guess Glennon didn't see him there because you have Sterling Shepard kind of running to split the safeties. And he just lobs it. And it's a terrible throw for one, even though it's a solidly clean pocket, even though it looks like who is that? Will Hernandez, of course, gets kind of beat a little bit. And he throws it right into the safety that wasn't accounted for in the pre-snap process. So those are mistakes that you would hope Jake Fromm, even though he's much younger than Mike Glennon, won't make because of, uh, I would say, a a better ability to process pre- to post-snap than Mike Glennon has. And that was our big knock on Glennon coming over. We said, yeah, he has a big arm. That's good. You know, I definitely kind of want a quarterback who can challenge vertically. It's definitely a plus over Colt McCoy. But what he's not going to have is the ability to get the offense set up optimally against the defense pre- to post-snap. And Glennon definitely does not have that, hence why he just threw for 99 yards and three interceptions. Yeah, Glennon's pre- to post-snap processing might be the worst I've ever seen for someone who's had this long in the NFL. It, it's like almost amazing that you could be this bad at getting your team ready, getting your team to the line of scrimmage before the snap, diagnosing the defense towards that, and then processing everything after the snap as Glennon is for someone who's had this long in the NFL. I mean, he's been through multiple systems, multiple rosters. He's had starts under his belt. He was signed to a big contract at one point. It's almost crazy to me that you could be this bad, but he is. I mean, he's just not mentally there as a quarterback. That's been the biggest issue for him his whole entire career. Just see nothing with him. I, I'm excited for him to be off the roster this offseason. I hate watching him play. I really do. Turn over to the defensive side of the ball where the Giants were, uh, quite honestly, pretty solid in this game. Yeah, you combine a, a bad processing quarterback with a quarterback who likes to be aggressive, you get Mike Glennon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's how these mistakes end up happening, and, and you have him force the football into places where the football should not be forced this play right here. And then the next interception that he threw to uh, Trevon Diggs, Kenny Galladay breaks open. It looks like it on the film, but Diggs is just baiting it and waiting for Mike Glennon to throw the football. And of course the ball's underthrown. He's off balance. When he throws a football, there's guys coming down on him and he throws it directly to Diggs. So, I mean, you can't have a player like that playing significant snaps for you at the most important position in sports. It's just not going to work. Without a doubt. All right, let's turn it over to the defense side of the ball, Nick. Lorenzo Carter, breakout game. Is it a little too late? What did you see from him in this game? And do you feel at all like, well, it does take time because he's not looking at it. Not necessarily, but this is one way to look at it, I should say. It does take time to come back from an Achilles injury. Some people believe it takes a full year to be fully recovered. And at the same time, we're now starting to see that burst back. I feel like not only in this game was the edge burst there, but also in the last game on film. So it's two in a row with a return of the edge uh, edge burst. Three, the Giants don't really have, in my opinion, any edge rushers on this roster with any kind of edge burst um, like Carter. Ojolari wins in other ways, in my opinion. Quincy Roche certainly wins in other ways. Is there value to return it? Like, now is he someone who's kind of popped into your mind as someone who might you might want to bring back this offseason? I know they have big next to no salary cap space, but they'll they'll clear some and they might have to keep pushing back into 2023. They're now in that cycle as a franchise, which is which is okay, I guess, but it's it's just where they're gonna be. Um, where are you at with Carter long term? What'd you see from him in this game? I really liked everything Lorenzo Carter put out there. I mean, he started on the first drive by making a tackle against Ezekiel Elliott where Dalton Schultz was tasked to kind of block him down the line of scrimmage. And, and Lorenzo Carter just runs right through the inside shoulder of Schultz and just blows up the play. And then he had the play where he was in space trying to cover defenders on a play-action rollout from Dak Prescott. And he leaped in the air and eliminated a throwing window where Amari Cooper was wide open about 10 yards behind him. That's just an incredibly athletic play, one that we knew Lorenzo Carter was capable of before that Achilles injury because he's just a freak athlete. And then you have the sacks. I mean, the first sack, you know, minus two yards, he kind of presses outside shoulder against the offensive tackle. It's not Tyron Smith, but they meet hands. They're basically holding hands and they're dancing there for a little bit. And he just kind of violently rips the hands downward and then just brings his outside hand right through the, the inside arm of the of the tackle. And he's doing all this while he has his eyes on Dak Prescott. So he's feeling the pocket. He's not just blindly rushing this tackle and having tunnel vision. He's watching Dak Prescott the entire time. And he reacts to Dak Prescott trying to evade the, the pressure from a blitz 
that Logan Ryan sent. And that's something that Patrick Graham did all game. He sent so many blitzes with Logan Ryan and five-man pressure packages using creepers off the line of scrimmage. Like on this play, he sends Logan Ryan, doesn't even tip it off, and then drops Aziz Ojolari. That's where creeper is. You have someone come from another side and then drop someone else in coverage to, to cover Ezekiel Elliott on that play. I felt like Patrick Graham blitzed so much. He was really trying to get out there, Dak Prescott, and rally uh, and rattle him in this game. But in terms of Lorenzo Carter, the sacks that he had, I mean, he comes from the front side of the play, and C.D. Lamb tries to kind of just, you know, make contact with him and get rid of him. And you see that happen a lot, and usually that's enough to, to – uh, deter the edge rusher from getting to the quarterback, but Dak tries to get a little bit greedy and also man, the burst and just overall speed and pursuit of Lorenzo Carter is way too much. And on that sack by Lorenzo Carter, excellent effort from him. But if you watch at the bottom of the screen of the sideline angle, if you're on game pass, Jerron Williams, he's not tasked to cover anybody here, right? He sees Tony Pollard stays in after the play action to, to, pass block to, to add to the protection. And Jerron Williams sees Dalton Schultz go over the middle of the field. So there's no one anywhere in his vicinity. So what he does is he flashes his eyes deep to see if there's a deep crosser coming from the other side of the field. And there is with Logan Ryan, who's trying to get to the deep half on the other side of the field. He kind of gets his face crossed by Amari Cooper. And this guy would have been wide open Cooper. That is, I believe it's Cooper, but Jerron Williams undercuts this, this route right here. And I think that might've made Dak Prescott think twice about this, which also helped lead to the sacks. That's an excellent job by Jerron Williams. Yeah, without a doubt. And that's actually a player I want to talk about next, Nick, Jerron Williams, because he had a pretty damn good game from what I saw. I was focusing on him a little bit. It seems like the Giants do a better job of locating secondary talent than anywhere else on this roster in this Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge regime. I mean, they have talent there, some of which they've spent assets on, but either way, they've evaluated it, they've brought it in, and they found success bringing in guys who can play in the secondary, even like last year with the item. Just little different things. Like, Adam wasn't great, but he was acceptable. So my thought, my question for you would be, did you like what you saw from Jaron Williams in this game overall? Not just on what, you know, maybe one play. And then do you think there's any potential future here with the Giants? I do. I really like what I saw from Jaron Williams. I, I thought like that play was was a little microcosm of his game in general. I felt like he was disciplined in man coverage. He wasn't getting beat off the line of scrimmage. He's going up against some really quality talent over there. I mean, whether it be Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb when he aligns outside, I just felt like he was somebody who was always in phase and wasn't really deterred by the moment. So I really liked what I saw from Williams. And it's just a one of those, hey, this team sucks, but there are young players who are playing pretty well. We've talked about Quincy Brochet and Aziz Ojolari all season. I think Jerron Williams, now the sample size is small. I think he's another player that we could probably talk about in that conversation if he puts another solid game out there. But he was physical as a tackler. He wasn't missing tackles. He was he was going after it in that phase, which is something you want to see from these smaller 190-pound defenders and run support. So I uh, – I really liked what I saw from him. And we saw glimpses of it all throughout the season. You know, he only played, right. you know, 10 snaps here, 15 snaps here. And I was like, oh, man, 34 is making some plays out there. Well, this one he played, uh, I think, every single snap. And it definitely showed. And it wasn't somebody who you wanted to pick on opposite of James Bradbury because he proved early that he could not be beat in terms of his coverage ability, whether that be zoner man. Yeah, I completely agree. That's exactly right. That's his job. And that's, you know, what you ask for out of that position and that at boundary corner, too spot and you know i like him too as a potential not you know starter but just a secondary piece another depth piece they've done a really good job of finding depth pieces in the secondary both williams is radaris before the injury um and so we'll see what happens with him in his future but he looks like he's going to get some good some good playing time down the stretch unless jackson comes back which i think feels feels like potentially not going to happen um just seems like one of those injuries where it's lingering we'll see what happens there yeah i mean he's on COVID right now he has to get through that first right He's got to get through the COVID and the injury, which I'm sure is still bothering him. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. Another one of these fringe players I wanted to talk about before kind of turning it over to you and talking about some defensive concepts or anything else that stood out to you on the film would be Jalen Smith. Obviously, some people thought he was signed just to kind of, you know, fuck mess with the Cowboys. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. I think that was just more of a joke. But he ended up playing some meaningful snaps in this game, and he looked pretty okay out there on the film. I've thought this on the broadcast, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to wait to even talk about him until I see the film. And I was like, this guy has pretty solid instincts for the linebacker position. Maybe he's not athletically what he once was. Maybe he'll never be that way. I mean, part of the reason he slipped in the draft was an injury to his knee that people thought would change who he was as a player. And I think in a lot of ways it did. He was stunningly good at Notre Dame. I mean, he was the best linebacker I saw in a while when he was playing there. 
he's not that athletically, but on a depth chart like this one, where Tay Crowder is the the starter on the defense, I personally don't even really fully believe that Tay Crowder would be better than Jalen Smith. I know that's a bit of a hot take, but I stand by it. I don't like watching Tay Crowder on film. I think he's extremely overrated by Giants fans to some extent, um, and I do not want him back as anything more than a, than a bench player. But on a depth chart where he's your number one, <laughs> and you're cycling in guys like Bernardrick McKinney um, <laughs> and the Reggie Ragland types throughout the throughout the years, is there a future based on the situation, based on A, all of what I just said, and B, how hard it's going to be to find all these positions? Like, they need to regroup, redo the offensive line. Probably going to have to find a tight end, especially if they cut Rudolph and don't re-sign Ingram, which seems likely at this point. They might not have room for another inside backer. So is there anything to get excited about with Jalen Smith? Look, it was 17 snaps but it was an impressive 17 snaps. And I don't really think the athletic ability is all that zapped. I mean, this is a 27-year-old, and yes, he had nerve damage coming out, but he recovered and he earned himself, what was it, like a six-year, $68 million contract from Dallas. And after he spent a year in Mike Nolan's defense and then a couple games with Dan Quinn, he was released because that contract was way too much for his skill set. But that doesn't mean he can't come into New York and be a solid contributor. And I wouldn't have said that because he was bad in Joe Barry's defense as well, the two games he spent with the Green Bay Packers but in those 17 snaps got to keep that in mind got to keep that context there it was a very small sample size he played well I mean his first play well his second play on the field but his first meaningful play was the 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 one against Tony Pollard where it was a little flare pass with two receivers clearing out the defensive backs and he from the far hash he was the on the other side linebacker chased down Tony Pollard and made the tackle. Tony Pollard is incredibly athletic. That was a very, very nice physical hit. And I also felt like Jalen Smith had a couple plays in the box where he was positioning himself very well to make the tackle. Now there was one where it was a counter and Lyle Collins came around and you could see him kind of read the blocks key and diagnose everything, scrape over the top of the blocks in front of him, and then position himself in the desired hole, blowing up the play. And then Ezekiel Elliott had to bounce it to an A-gap that was closed by Lorenzo Carter. That was another very nice play by Jalen Smith. And I also thought Jalen Smith had the one where he stayed square to the line of scrimmage. He was on the opposite side, the non-play side linebacker. and He stayed square to the line of scrimmage and scraped over the top of a bunch of blocks, positioned himself right in the hole, and then made the tackle on Ezekiel Elliott. It was about a five-yard gain, but still a really good mental play from Jalen Smith. So I think mentally and athletically, he looked pretty good to me in the small sample size. Now my issues with Jalen Smith, and we also actually, before I get into the issues, he was used on the edge during that two minute drill. So Patrick Graham's getting a little bit creative with him right. and allowing him to, to be utilized in a bunch of different ways. He was playing Sam. He was playing Will. He played on the edge. I mean, that's pretty good for a guy who's been with the New York Giants for less than a cup of coffee. This guy was signed for the practice squad on Friday because of COVID and all that stuff. But I think I'd rather see Jalen Smith out there than Reggie Ragland at this point. But that doesn't mean he's necessarily this overly polished player because when I look at Jalen Smith, I think he's still going to struggle with stacking and shedding blocks because there were a couple plays in this game, Dan, where the linemen would come around and just smack Jalen Smith and then he would kind of backpedal and try to like run around and evade. He's not good at kind of setting up, using his hands, stacking offensive linemen and then shedding and then presenting himself in the gap. Like we saw Blake Martinez do so much. He's going to struggle with that. I still think he's going to be an upgrade over the Reggie Raglins of the world, but he has to be better in terms of keeping his chest clean whenever those offensive linemen work up to the second level. That would be my biggest gripe with what I saw from this very, very, very small sample size. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I don't think we should set the bar too high with a player like this, but, you know, given all the circumstances and even in some ways, given the creativity we saw with Patrick Graham in such a like small sample size and somebody who just joined the team does give me a little hope that he might be a solution to their problems. Their problems are they don't have any inside linebacker depth. Those problems have shown up in major ways. In some of these games, they've, they've been bad on defense in a lot of spots because of Tay Crowder, in my opinion, and because of what's left after Tay Crowder, which is actually even worse. Like they're even worse at the linebacker spots after Tay Crowder. So all I'm saying is, you know, this is a situation where 
They need some kind of talent there. They need some kind of hope. So I'm excited to watch him the rest of the year. I really am, Nick. I want to see if I could feel good about having him and Blake there as their two backers. And I know it's crazy. Like, no team signed him. The Cowboys cut him. Yada, yada. All this. Like, why wouldn't anyone else claim if he was good? But you never know. Some guys are just better fits for better systems. And it seems like Patrick Amoretti is getting a little creative and how to use him, like you said, and might have a plan for him, which is all we want. Like, all we want is to scoop up these types of players. They need it. This roster desperately needs, uh, you know, wins wherever they can get them, really, to be completely honest. So definitely somebody I'm keeping an eye on, Nick, for sure. All right. Anything? Uh, I, I say I'll turn it over to you now on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe you can you can talk uh, touch on some stuff that we can expand on, or even if you just want to break down some plays that you liked. Yeah, so the Dallas Cowboys were very conservative, it seemed like to me. In terms of their approach here, I felt like the Giants were really selling out to stop the run while maintaining a too high defense. So they would align in tight, a lot of 3-4, some, some base type of personnel, sometimes 3-3-5. Three, three, but that would leave a linebacker in the middle of the field. And that's why I feel like the middle of the field was open a lot of the time when they were in the too high, which they wanted to stay in to kind of prevent the big plays. Because we saw when the Giants tried to go middle of the field close in the first matchup, C.D. Lamb caught a long touchdown against... James Bradbury on that play. But there was a play in the third quarter, I believe, where you could see it was an RPO where the backside guard pulls. He goes to hand the football off to Tony Pollard. He reads that Quincy Roche kind of gets sucked in a little bit tight, and he hits C.D. Lamb for a long RPO, I think an 11-yard gain. You could see how everybody's kind of overplaying the run, and I felt like the Giants were trying to do that a lot of this game. I felt like the Cowboys were just you know content with the fact that Mike Glennon was on the opposite side of the football, so they were going to allow – just to nickel and dime, not try to force the football into precarious situations all that often. I feel like that was probably one of the main game plan by the by the Dallas Cowboys. That's why they went for so many field goals, it seemed like, as well. But you can see just throughout this game, Patrick Graham was trying to get after Dak Prescott. Like I said earlier, he was attempting to, to pressure him, five-man pressure packages with trap coverages. You could see it on the quarter three, 1142 left. He brought a five-man pressure blitz, and then he had Jerron Williams use a cut technique trying to bait that flat pass where he can undercut it and, and intercept the football. And he did bait the flat pass, but it was a little bit too slow. And it wasn't really necessarily uh, Williams' fault. It was more just Dak Prescott getting the football out of his hand really quickly. And then Jerome Williams quickly rallied and made the tackle there. But you just saw so much pressure, unique pressure from Patrick Graham in this game. But it didn't really necessarily do all that much except for maybe accelerate the clock of Dak Prescott a little bit. But it didn't bait him into the mistakes that we really wanted him to be baited into and throwing like just really, really horrendous interceptions, which isn't necessarily Dak Prescott's game. Yeah, exactly. I think you nailed it. They had a game plan for this specific to the Cowboys and what they wanted to do. They did a pretty good job of shutting down the run game. And, you know, I think in some ways, like we see this a lot. Last year, we saw this with the Bucks for a strong period of time before the end of the season. The passing game is out of sync right now with Dallas, whether that be the, the amount of reps they haven't had together due to the injuries and the COVID stuff with all the receivers or just kind of the shifting of their offensive line, whatever, wherever the case is. I didn't think they were on point at all. It was obvious in this game, um, but credit to the Giants defense because they played a role in that as well. Yeah, they absolutely did. I mean, they got home on the third and four, which forced a field goal, which I thought was great because the Giants end up sending a bunch. I think they send six in the pressure yep. and two, both the edge rushers end up coming off unblocked Three. here. Rojo Lari and Quincy Roche end up not being blocked. They send Bernardrick McKinney on what looks like a blitz and then drop him underneath in coverage underneath Dalton Schultz. The, the Cowboys run a mesh concept, so he kind of eliminates both those routes who are crossing kind of right behind where he is. Dak Prescott's trying to, to see if – he has any kind of leverage with Amari Cooper outside, but James Bradbury is in ec excellent position there to kind of eliminate any type of throw. And then by that time, he's sacked by Quincy Roche and Aziz Ojolari. I thought that was a well-designed play by Patrick Graham to kind of have a bunch of defenders moving around right before the snap, and it created protection issues, which isn't something that really happens all that often with the Dallas Cowboys. It happens a ton with the New York Giants, though. Yeah, I love to see when defensive coordinators, Patrick Graham specifically for us, do put that kind of amoeba look up there with a lot of guys at the line of scrimmage. Some might drop, some might rush the passer. This one got two free edges. Also had a guy dropping into his, a vacated zone that might have been where the quarterback looks first. It's really a guessing game in some ways by the coordinator. Where's the quarterback going to look? Where's the read? But not necessarily. I mean, you see some of the best coordinators figure this out and make it really confusing for the quarterback. It wasn't there for Dak right away, and there wasn't enough time for him to get off of that. So Great job by the Giants. I feel like Graham has done a good job at times of timing these up. 
these these extra pass rushers and these blitzes. At times, he hasn't done as good a job, obviously. I mean, the Giants haven't been great this season on defense against the great quarterbacks. This was an example of the opposite. Dak is a great quarterback. I know they're a little out of sync in that passing game. I just went over that, but he's still a great quarterback, and one of the best parts of his game is, is his processing. So even to have a play like this one where you can catch him off guard and you can get the two free edge rushers so the pass production is caught off guard as well, which is in, t- you know, in some ways the quarterback's job as well, it's kudos to the defense, and it's a good sign for the Giants. So still seeing a lot of good things from the film on the defensive side of the ball. Anything else to touch on defensively? I also like the first and 10, 23 seconds left in the first half, the blitz that Logan Ryan and Julian Love ran, where it was really well-timed, and Logan Ryan times this perfectly. Julian Love and Logan Ryan both kind of shoot right through the B-gap with Jalen Smith kind of opening up Lyle Collins, which is going to isolate Zeke Elliott against both of these players because you have Zach Martin who's going to have to handle Ellison Smith, who's slanting inside from the three-technique position. And Logan Ryan kind of gets through, but Dalton Schultz just – he gets hit a little bit by – by I think it was the center who kind of came over Tyler Biotis, shout out Wisconsin. But Dalton Schultz just runs an excellent route, and there's not a lot of bodies there because they end up bringing two on the blitz here, and he ends up catching the ball for 15 yards. But I thought it was a creative blitz to kind of have both come through the same gap to isolate Zeke Elliott into a really difficult spot. But Zeke Elliott's also one of the more difficult running backs to manipulate. He just kind of eliminates Julian Love from this, just leaving Logan Ryan as the only guy to block, and the protection slides in that direction. Tyler Biotis does a good job kind of picking it up. But I thought like it was creative enough to try and out-scheme the protection package of the Cowboys. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, Nick, anything else before we turn the page to the next week, the Philadelphia Eagles game? No, I'm good, man. I, I'm just excited to dive into the draft. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. I'm excited to draft, dive into the whole offseason. I'm so ready to turn the page on the 2021 season. It could be an exciting offseason if the Giants are in the quarterback market, which you know could be the case regardless or could be the case because of Daniel Jones' neck injury. We don't know where they're at with that at all. Uh, but I'm definitely excited for the offseason, free agency, for the combine, for the senior bowl, for the draft stuff that we always do. That's our best bet. I mean, to me, that's where we're at our best. So I'm excited to see if we can take that to a new level. I hope we can. Thank you to everybody tuning in. Thank you to everybody who supported us so many ways, leaving us a review on iTunes, you know, interacting with us on Twitter, supporting the show in any way you can. We do appreciate that. We will talk to you soon. There'll be more to come. Have a great rest of your week and go Giants. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.